0: According to the Statistic Brain Research Institute, 45% of Americans make New Year's resolutions. Only 8% will make their goals. But it's not all bad. Their research also shows that by explicitly stating a resolution, you are 10 times more likely to attain your goals. But what's the best way to stick with it? Today, we'll hear from Professor Leslie John about her case entitled, Making Stick Stick, The Business of Behavioral Economics. I'm Brian Kenny, and you're listening to Cold Call.
1: So we are all sitting there in the
0: classroom. The professor walks in. And, and
1: they look up, and you know it's coming. Oh, the dreaded cold call.
0: Professor John teaches negotiations in both the MBA and executive education programs at Harvard Business School. Her research centers on how consumers' behavior and lives are influenced by their interaction with firms and with public policy. Leslie, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Why did you write this case? How did you hear about Stick?
1: I, for a long time, have been interested in behavior change. Part of the thing that intrigues me about Stick is it's using kind of psychological mind games to try to change your behavior. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's yeah. something I relate to personally because I find that I'm often trying to trick myself into behaving better. For example, one trick I do is... When I'm trying to convince myself to go to the gym, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm sitting on the couch watching trash TV, and it feels really good. The idea of going to the gym is super aversive. But I know that I should, and I know that after I go to the gym, I'll feel better, so there's all these benefits. But it's a big hurdle to get myself to the gym. So the intervention that I play on myself, or in other words, the psychological mind game, (laughs) is I say to myself, Leslie John, all you have to do is dress for success. All you have to do is put your gym clothes on (laughs) and walk to the gym and show up. But once you get to the gym, you can turn right back around. You don't have to do anything once you get to the gym. And, of course, when I get to the gym, I always do something. But the idea is that just saying all I have to do is get dressed and show up Mm – it really helps me to break down the hurdle, this inertia that I face, break it into baby steps, yeah. as opposed to trying to conquer the whole thing at once.
0: So, for for listeners who don't know what Stick is, what's the whole premise of Stick?
1: The premise of Stick is to put your money where your mouth is. <laughs> yeah. Well, first you have to specify the goal very clearly. I would like to lose twenty pounds in two months,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then the product prompts you to put some money down. So, wager some money. I would like to wager $200. If I don't attain my goal, then I forfeit the money. You also have the option of specifying where your money goes if it's forfeited. I'm not sure if it's still possible to do this. In the beginnings, the thinking was we should let people specify charities. Mm -hmm. So if I forfeit my money, then I can specify that my money should be donated to the Red Cross. But the problem with that is psychologically, right – think of it as okay once i put my money down and specify that if i don't lose weight it's going to the red cross then i think mm, well <laughs> now like i'm i'm kind of a bad person if i attain my goal it's because if win-win. i attain, if yeah. i attain my goal then the people at the red cross aren't going to get the money so the way that stick deals with this problem is they have a feature called the anti charity mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's devilishly clever What it is is you specify a charity that you hate. And so if you don't attain your goal and, say, you want more gun control in the U.S., then you can specify the NRA as your Mm anti-charity.
0: Okay. Very clever. So in the early days, you talk about uh, the founders, the co-founders, Ian Ayers and Dean Carlin competing against each other in some ways and putting real money on the line. So talk about the psychology that goes into committing to something in this way when you put up some stakes.
1: There are a variety of psychological biases or principles that deposit contracts or, in other words, wagering your own money takes advantage of. One is – overconfidence, we know that people, including myself, are overly optimistic with respect to their ability to accomplish their goals, in particular their health goals. Uh-huh. So the approach is, instead of trying to make people not optimistic or not overconfident, which it turns out to be very hard, it's hard to de-bias people, the idea is that we can actually use their bias to help them accomplish the goals that they want to accomplish. So if you're overconfident with respect to your ability to lose weight, this should enhance your motivation to put skin in the game because you think in prospect, of course, I'm going to attain the goal. Mm -hmm. So this overoptimism actually propels you, motivates you to put skin in the game. But then after having put skin in the game, loss aversion kicks in. That is the pain of losing something Uh. is just much more poignant than is the pleasure associated with objectively equivalently sized gains. Loss aversion kicks in. Simply put, you don't want to lose the money, and so that further propels you or further motivates you to lose the weight.
0: When Ian and Dean, um, they, they attained their goals, uh, they had real money at stake, and then they, once they attained their goals, they took a step back, and very quickly, they both gained the weight back. So there's this, what's the, the boomerang effect, I guess, of this?
1: This is something that I struggle a lot with in thinking about this topic <laughs> and in the research I've done on this topic. So far, the research I've done, to me, suggests both the promise and the perils of this approach. Mm -hmm. The promise is, of course, we see in rigorous randomized controlled trials that in the short run, when we implement these incentive systems that are designed to use principles from behavioral economics, when we implement these systems, they're very good at inducing behavior change in the short run. The rub is that in the long term, it's really hard to sustain this behavior change. Mm -hmm. What we found is that once we remove the incentive systems, people, to your point, boomerang back. They regain much of the weight and, in some cases, all of the weight that they lost, arguably making them worse off. Now, in general, it is really, really hard to facilitate long term behavior change. It's not simply a flaw of this approach. It, to me, says that it's really hard to change behavior. And I think it it points to a lot of opportunity for future work that we can do to try to devise ways to not only facilitate short-term behavior change, but to facilitate long-term behavior change. And I have lots of ideas I'd love to test.
0: Right. So more to be done on that. And you know, you, you mentioned the fact that most of the goals have to do with physical fitness or with weight loss, but you have an exhibit. People can hear me turning the pages here. I love the exhibit that showed the different kinds of things that people actually put on their contracts. So. Pass my citizenship test was an interesting one. Learn to play the fiddle. Get married. So can you really use this kind of an incentive system to, to get married?
1: I don't know. <laughs> I, think, I think that a lot of these are a bit of a stretch. I think that these types of systems work better for behaviors that you can break down into sub-goals. Okay, so if you want to get married, how would you break that into sub goals? I mean, I can you, think you of one. You got to go on a date, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you're like, how many dates per month is like, I don't know. And then then you worry that like the hyper quantification of the goals kind of, you, you lose something, right. or at least you lose the romance with uh-huh. respect to the, the marriage example. But, but these systems, they work better when you can break the goal down into sub goals. And they also work better when it's very clear what the outcomes are at each stage. And the outcome is clearly verifiable.
0: Mm -hmm. How do students react to this in the classroom?
1: They find it so relatable. Uh, I love opening the class with asking people, who has a bad habit? Who has ever had a bad habit that they've tried to change? All the hands go up. And it's fascinating hearing people's stories about when, when they've succeeded and when they've failed and all the interesting things that people try to do mm-hmm. to change their behavior. And it's really hard to change behavior.
0: And the notion of behavioral economics being used in a business research context is an interesting one. Would you just comment on that a little bit about this is, you know, as we look at um, research models in, in management education changing, this is one of the areas that seems to be really booming.
1: It's a more descriptively accurate picture of human behavior. So it describes how people actually behave. And this is important because it strikes me that to really devise interventions that help people change, we really need to understand how people actually behave. We need to understand what makes them tick. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I like to use this case to teach is I like to use it to teach people how to evaluate programs Mm -hmm. and the value of A-B testing or randomized control trials to actually answer, does this thing work? One of the things I do in class is after talking about the product and how it works, I ask them at the end of the day, do we know that this product works? Does it actually cause people to lose weight? And I point them to one of the appendices, which shows that people who wager their own money are more likely to succeed. And Mm -hmm. I say, does this convince you? Does this tell us that the product works? Of course, the answer is no. I let students kind of talk – you know, I case method it uh-huh. and I ask them questions to try to get them to appreciate that no, this doesn't actually tell us whether the product works because it really could be telling us more about the type of person that uses the product than the product being effective. It could simply tell us that. The people who are particularly motivated to lose weight, those are the ones that put their skin in the game. Mm -hmm. And it's not because they necessarily use the product. It's because they're just super motivated. Yeah, they
0: were ready to do that.
1: Then I tell students, I explain to them, the empirical work, the research that we've done that actually randomizes people. So if you take any random person and you give them this product, is it going to work? And we have research suggesting that yes, it will work. So mm-hmm. we, we're we kind of, I'm, I'm showing people the value of the research side plus the business side merged together.
0: So clearly uh, businesses were finding this attractive. Uh, you talk in the case about Staples and the American Cancer Society. How were they taking this and using it for their employees?
1: I think that the B2B applications so that is when stick basically they come up with a customized version for staples and staples employees i think in many ways that is a richer application of the product because mm-hmm. there's so many different things you can play around with. You can play around with point systems, for example, where you endow people with points to begin with, employees, which they can lose or gain more of. And then they can redeem points for things they care about. You could also play around with the things that people can redeem the points for. So in the the standard product It's just money that you get. You get your money back. Mm -hmm. But imagine if you redeem points for days off of work or points for a better parking spot. There's all kinds of fascinating things that you could play around with, which I think will ultimately – but this is an empirical question – I think will ultimately be more motivating than just getting hard, cold cash.
0: Maybe we should try this at Harvard Business School. What do you think?
1: (laughs) Maybe I, I'm trying to think of what I would, what behaviors I would try to change, and whether it's of my colleagues or my <laughs> students.
0: <laughs> All right, we'll file that away till next time, Leslie. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: You can find this case along with thousands of others in the Harvard Business School Case Collection at hbr.org. I'm Brian Kenny. Thanks for listening to Cold Call, the official podcast of Harvard Business School.